Hey, the start of something special right here, man. Let's go. Number one fantasy player right here. Got past the line. Shut up. Know the rules. I just want to say this to you. Right now, best in the game. I know. Hello and welcome in to the pod. After Touchdown Fantasy Football Podcast, I am your host, Sam Hoppin, joined as always by my co-host, Andrew Mackins, and our producer, Garner. Fellas, how are you doing this evening? You mentioned before the show that we are two weeks away from NFL football. I can't believe it, to be honest. Um, I I read an article today that J.J. Zacharyson, friend of the pod, actually posted about the decline in interest because there's been so much going on in this crazy ass year that is 2020 and it is crazy because i i've been starting to get fantasy fatigue because i've been following it so much and now we're actually approaching the season it's like damn can i i I don't know if i need like just a quick ass break and then like we're right back into it or or how to handle that (laughs) it certainly is weird i know it's hasn't felt like a normal Mm-hmm. off or it, it hasn't felt like a normal wind up to the season I guess I'll say without preseason games and, and in in-person drafts stuff like that that you're normally getting obviously the news is a little bit slower but we're uh we're still excited for some real football nonetheless on today's show we are going to talk about the draft the most important part of fantasy football we're going to do a little grab bag but before we do that we'll do our kickoff question as always in our mental health minute so without further ado let's kick things off and this game is underway so for today's kickoff question we're gonna do a little adp this or that so i'll name uh, some groups of players that are going in similar ranges and I just want to get everyone's opinion on which groups of players you're taking. And this is all in the context of a half PPR redraft league. So the first group is Kenyon Drake and Zach Ertz or Travis Kelsey and Ronald Jones. Andrew, where are you leaning? I'll go first. Um, If you've been listening regularly to our podcast, you'll know that I'm the Rojo truther among the three of us. Um, So I'm going to go that route. I like the positional advantage you get with Travis Kelsey early on, and then you can worry about grabbing uh, flyers and more uh, depth in the late rounds at running back and wide receiver. And I'm pretty much think I I pretty much think it's a lock that you're on the other side of this. It's, it's not a lock. I, I like Kenyon Drake, obviously the Mm -hmm. wearing a boot thing doesn't help that there have been some talks about, uh, Chase Edmonds having a bit of a larger role than some people expect. And Zach Ertz is, is reliable. I don't think he has the ceiling that Kelsey offers. But with the uncertainty of, of Drake's health, I'll probably lean the Kelsey and Jones side. But it is very, very, very close. This is probably the one of the three that I had the most trouble deciding with. So... Our next one is Jonathan Taylor and Robert Woods or James Conner and Odell Beckham Jr. I'm going to go JT and Bobby Woods here. Bobby Trees, as uh, Fantasy Stoner affectionately calls him. I think that 
Robert Woods floor is extremely high and he's got opportunity for an even higher ceiling. So I like him a lot more than just kind of the uncertainty surrounding OBJ. And I am a big fan of, of James Conner, but um, you know, Jonathan Taylor provides just as much upside, if not more. So I, I, that's why I lean, you know, the, the former option. I'm in the same camp. We're going to be in the woods here. Um, did you get that? You don't want to get too get deep into the woods on this one? or <laughs> uh, uh, No, I, you said all the right points. I think Jonathan Taylor has a high ceiling. Connor and OBJ obviously have more injury concerns than the other two. So that's a factor for me as well. For our last pairing, we have Deshaun Watson and Aaron Jones or Patrick Mahomes and Kareem Hunt. I'm going to go actually with Mahomes and Hunt on this one. I think Watson has similar upside to Mahomes, but I think Kareem Hunt is one of, if not, he's not a handcuff per se. He's a a backup running back that's going to share early down work with, um, excuse me, with Nick Chubb. So, I think he's got a lot of standalone value. And if Chubb does go down, then he's immediately a better fantasy football prospect than Aaron Jones is. I've actually got the opposite on this one. And I I thought this one was actually the easiest one for me to decide. And I think it was chiefly because we wait on quarterbacks so much. I think Deshaun Watson could easily outscore Patrick Mahomes this year, depending on how much of the team he puts on his back. And I think Aaron Jones, just based on situation and having, you know, first right of refusal to major opportunity in Green Bay's offense, uh, that I'd rather have him than Kareem Hunt for sure, because I'm getting one of these top 14 running backs just to lock up that spot. Um, I, I'm a big fan of Kareem Hunt, but I, I have heard both sides of the argument of like what his opportunity could actually look like, because a lot of it's baked into like, well, if Nick Chubb gets hurt, but you know, what if he doesn't get hurt, then he's kind of like, you know, always his ceiling's super capped. Yeah, that, that is very true. And I, I don't hate either side of this. I think I'm just going for the unlimited upside of that one. <laughs> Wait, was Russell Wilson an option in this? <laughs> he was not, he was not, but you, you probably could have flipped Russell Wilson for Deshaun Watson and, and I'm sure you would have landed the same way. Then I'd be, yeah, I'd probably still be taking Mr. Unlimited. (laughs) Okay. Well, before we move on, I just want to say, I think this is a really valuable exercise to do even just on your own. If you don't have all the time for mock drafts and things like that, just pull up an ADP draft board and go through and say, okay, if I go with a running back in the third round and a wide receiver in the sixth round, do I like that pairing or do I like the pairing better when it's flipped with a wide receiver in the third round and a running back in the sixth? Because that gives you some idea of, again, what's what's going to be available to me when it gets to my pick, who's going to be available to me and what your potential roster construction looks like. But we'll get into that more in a little bit before we get to that we're going to do our mental health minute. And today we're going to be talking about therapy, which is something that I have been open about the the fact that I see a therapist regularly and I think it helps me quite a bit. Yeah. I like that you brought this up. We've talked about it in passing before Sam. Um, And I know 
you know, the, the initial question you mentioned is strategies for finding a new therapist. But I think to start off for, for Garner and I, like for, at least for me, um, I know of therapy. I know it's a, a thing that I'm sure is like great and has been really helpful for you, but I don't know a lot about it in terms of the details. So I'll probably just bounce a couple of very like yeoman level or like basic questions off of you to, to learn more about it. And hopefully it can benefit our listeners. So, you know, what, just to start, what is the best benefit in your mind of having a, a therapist that you see regularly other than just the, the idea of having like a sounding board that's like different from, you know, a, a significant other or a friend? I think it is, <laughs> you say other than a sounding board, I think that is the best part of it. It's being able to confide in someone that is literally not going to judge you at all whatsoever. They have no stake in whether their reaction makes you happy or sad or, or whatever. And I can, you know, there are some things that you, you know, talking to you guys, you guys don't understand or uh, people at work don't understand. So it's, it's that one person that has a look into every single aspect of my life, the struggles that I have, uh, the things that are going well, all those sorts of things. And gives me, again, a person that's not going to judge me that gives some decent feedback at times and um, gives me some actions to to actually work on. Yeah, I like that. And especially the judgment-free zone, because we often worry about what our, even our closest, you know, friends and, and relatives might think of us. It's speaking of that, like, obviously, it's a judgment free zone. But when it comes to like confidentiality, is there anything that you worry about when you go into those conversations? Like, you know, you don't want to say too much because you think it, you know, might be something that I, I guess this is something that I think about too much. It's like, and, and maybe I'll bring this up on another mental health minute of like the call of the void. If you think, you know, sometimes I'm on the on the roof, and I imagine myself like, jumping off like if you brought that up to a therapist would there be additional steps that they have to take or is that something that's really not worth overthinking when it comes to confidentiality yeah I, i'm sure there is i mean i've been fortunate enough where i haven't gotten to that point so i haven't had an experience where someone has had to take extra steps i would say if you are at that point please do tell someone because it is important that you are sharing that. I'm sure there are some extra support things that, uh, excuse me, resources that people can use. I'm sure the therapist will make sure to, you know, keep you in touch with friends and family to, to make sure that you're not harming yourself in any way. But other than that, the confidentiality is client patient confidential. Uh, it's not like he's calling up my girlfriend afterwards and giving her the download on, on everything that I, <laughs> I said about her, yeah. but it's none of that information is, is going anywhere. Um, so it's, it's really an open book, open door policy. All right. Last question. We can hit on it quickly. And again, uh, you can share about this or not. What has the investment level looked like for you? Like both from a time and a financial perspective, do you think that there are are multiple different ways people can go about this if, if they, you know, aren't aren't necessarily have the resources to, you know, have like a, you know, a regular check in. Sure. So I meet with someone once a month. That's enough for my for the needs that I have and and what I have going on in my life. I know 
people who speak with with someone as frequently as once a week, um, sometimes multiple times a week. It, it's really up for for what your uh, needs are and what you're looking for from a financial perspective. It's it all depends on your insurance and and what's covered and things like that. I will say there are plenty of online services. There are some chats and things like that where you can literally just instant message someone and they'll be a sounding board to um, to listen to anything that you want to talk about. And they'll try and, you know, help as, as much as they can. Obviously, they won't have the long lasting relationship and uh, the context of everything right away. But there are some free resources out there. Obviously, I have my DMs open. So if anyone wants to hit me up. I'm no licensed therapist by any means, but I am more than happy to be a sounding board for anyone else. Yeah, I appreciate that, Sam. Thank you for giving us the lowdown. I thought it was good mental health minute, even though we're we usually go over a minute and, you know, everyone, everyone that listens knows that already. So I think those are good uh, mini deep dives. Perfect. Well, let's get into our draft grab bag, which is a grab bag to say, if I if I will. Um, we're just going to talk about some overall draft strategy for this season. Obviously, we're at the peak time of redraft drafting going on, likely this weekend and Labor Day weekend, likely doing drafts remotely. And then we're going to have some fun with some just you know miscellaneous questions about the draft. We might touch on a couple specific players here, but Andrew, overall, what is your draft strategy for this season? And that's a, a pretty open-ended question, yeah. but what are what are some key things that you're thinking about when you go into your drafts? Yeah, it, it's funny because when we were in the spring, I was looking at the real lack of depth at the top of the running back position. And thinking to myself, I gotta lock in two of these guys in my first like two picks, um, and, and that's the route I'm gonna go. But then I listened to, you know, the godfather of the zero RB strategy, Sean Siegel, and uh, you know, a disciple of Sean Siegel, Peter Overset. I've been following them a lot, and and any time that I start getting that uh, philosophy and the logic behind it creeping into my ears, it just takes over my brain and and I start to adopt that strategy. So I'm here to stand for zero RB and I'm sure everyone that listens to this is just going to like, you know, skip forward two minutes. But uh, the main logic behind it, trying to keep this short, is that if you can gain positional advantages everywhere else, so at tight end, drafting like Travis Kelsey or George Kittle, even Mark Andrews, uh, at quarterback, getting one of those top six guys, and loading up at the wide receiver position, getting four or five, you know, studs, you can then fill like backfill the running back position with rookies that have mid round draft ADP, uh, pass catchers, people that have a better chance to gain opportunity as the season goes on. I think the other big thing with zero the zero running back strategy is. With the running back position specifically, oftentimes if if a, a primary back goes down and gets injured, there is someone specific that sort of fills in mm-hmm. 
that role and is sort of the is the next quote unquote next man up. And and sometimes we don't that doesn't happen because they you know a team will switch to a committee uh, committee approach or it'll just be someone else completely random that we totally miss on. But for the most part, I think we're pretty good at identifying those players. Whereas with receivers and pass catching options, if a Julio Jones gets injured, it's not like Calvin Ridley just becomes Julio Jones, the targets that Julio Jones was getting are now just sort of dispersed through the rest of the offense. So that's where if you get these higher end wide receivers and the running backs that you choose later in the draft, have someone ahead of them go down, then you have a high floor because of those elite wide receivers and a high ceiling because those running backs are are sort of jumping to the next level. Yeah, I mean, statistically, running backs are the position most affected by injury. And so it's a strategy that attempts to embrace the chaos of the position. So if you're gra- drafting backup guys, your team is theoretically going to get stronger as the season goes on because you're going to either have a fill-in uh, running back on your roster already that benefits from an injury, not that we're you know rooting for injuries, but... Uh, you have that, or if the guy is, you know, Darrington Evans, like no one's rostering him and Derrick Henry goes down, you can... No one's rostering him. <laughs> have you seen my teams? Well, <laughs> another note on that in a second. If it's a back that no one's rostering and the main guy goes down, so the guy's on the waiver wire, you are set at all of your other positions, so you can over-invest with your fab uh, if you're in a fab league on those running backs. So there are some ideal types of leagues uh, that Sean Siegel has pointed out on Rotoviz, like PPR, if you're starting three wide receivers in a flex or more, and leagues where the benches are deep so you can stash more players, much like uh, Sam with Darrington Evans, those are the ideal settings for zero RB, um, and it's tougher to do that as the as the season goes on. But I, I personally think it's a good way to separate yourself from other teams that are drafting in a more balanced fashion. It, it certainly is, and we've seen, I've seen just in many best ball and, and mock drafts that I've done that the first two rounds are just loaded with running backs. It's, you know, so many people are going running back, running back to start, and I think all of these strategies that we're talking about need to be thought about in the context of your own your own league, because if you've got a league that starts three wide receivers and a flex, zero wide, excuse me, zero running back is perfect because you can take four wide receivers to start and all four of those guys are going to be in your starting lineup on a week to week basis. If you only have two wide receivers and let's say no flex, which I know is uncommon these days, but if you only have two wide receivers, then if you start with four wide receivers, two of those guys are going to be on your bench. Mm -hmm. So they don't add a ton of value week to week. So I think that's what a lot of uh, this talk is, is thinking about in sort of your own leagues context. Yeah. And and I think ultimately when you're in your draft, it's a way to zig when others, when everyone else is zagging or going running back just for a little context, I'm in like a FF chat, a discord redraft right now. And I started my draft with night at the ninth pick, I believe Michael Thomas, Devontae Adams in the second round, DJ Moore in the third round, and then Juju Smith-Schuster in the fourth round. And the way the roster's set up, I get to start all of those guys every week. So I, I'm really hoping that that makes up for 
the deficiency at the running back position. Uh, I've got a lot of work to do in the late rounds right now, but I'm excited for the core of my team. So that brings up another interesting point that I, I want to talk about is sort of where you start, excuse me, where your draft slot is, I think can really dictate which of these strategies you end up deploying. Because if you have one of the top four picks, it would be foolish to mm-hmm. have a zero running back draft and take Michael Thomas over CMC, Barkley, Zeke, and Kamara. Because those guys are are the cream of the crop at the running back position. You can maybe include Dalvin Cook in there if you want. And some people have Derrick Henry in there as well. But you'd be foolish to pass those guys up. And... I think once you get to the later half of the the draft with the 9, 10, 11 spot is really when you can start to define what your draft strategy is going to be from the start. And to me, my draft strategy is dictated on what my first two picks are. So if I go running back, running back, I mean, this is pretty self-explanatory, but if I go running back, running back, I'm probably not touching another one for another five, six, seven rounds because I've got my two starting running backs handled. And unless they get injured, I'm not putting else anyone else into my lineup, whether, you know, maybe there's a bye week or something where I've got to fill them in. But those are the guys that I'm relying on. And then every running back afterwards pushes down, excuse me, every running back that's drafted afterwards is pushing down value at receiver for mm-hmm. me. So I think that's where you need to think about it. And then, you know, if you have the opportunity at the 9, 10, or 11, or 12, I've seen Michael Thomas drop that far. You can you can grab Thomas and Adams with your first two picks. I know it's unlikely, but it is possible. And Loosh. I think those are the some of the few scenarios where zero wide receiver, excuse me, zero running back, I keep, mixing those up, but zero running back is extremely effective. I like that you mentioned being able to grab a stud running back that were, you know, super high floor, super high ceiling in the first four or five picks, because that's an opportunity to go modified zero RB, which is essentially where you grab one guy. And then, like you said, everyone's clamoring for the top 14 running backs. It pushes a bunch of still very solid wide receivers down to the late second, early third round. And you can start to hit that like wide receiver, wide receiver. And then we know that wide receivers deep. So shit, if you go wide receiver, wide receiver again, and then, and then pivot from there, like that's a, that's a direction you can go as well. Um, And so I I think it's, you know, there's definitely a lot of different options that you can take. Um, And and based on where you are in the draft and who falls to you, I think it's important to be flexible as well and having an adaptive draft strategy. Without a doubt. So this is a a little bit of a more basic question. And it's for some of our listeners who aren't as experienced as us, not to to sound condescending, but how do you play the ADP game? Because that is something that I think a lot of people fall into the trap of. They, they'll they have their players sorted by average draft position, whether they're in Sleeper or in ESPN, and they'll see someone falling to round three or four that has an ADP of round two or vice versa. They 
they have someone valued at a second round pick when uh, they're not going until the fourth round, stuff like that. So, Andrew, what are some things that you look for or think about when uh, it comes to ADP? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. And, and it goes back to what I was just saying is like having an adaptive strategy and being able to stay water, as the fantasy footballers say a lot, is important in that regard. Because I think when, you know, a player comes along that you think should have been drafted already, but is still there. I think it's important to take that player if you believe that they are better than where you're drafting them because you are going to get some value because you got a player uh, around earlier and then you can get another player that, you know, you would have drafted at that value, um, but you chose the the former. Um, being able to get basically two third-round draft picks for the price of a third and a fourth is always great. And, and I think that that will come up a lot in the middle of drafts. And a lot of people don't like the middle of drafts for like, because of this, like you don't, you kind of have to play the ADP game more and look at who's getting taken or reach on your guys more. Um, I mean, certainly you have to reach on the turn when you know, no one's coming back to you at that point, but um, it, it, it is really tough because in terms of being adaptive, like if I think that, locking yourself into a positional strategy like a zero RB or whatever it is can be tough when someone cut does fall in value. And you're like, well, this is a player I would have loved to have earlier. Like I, I agree with, you know, if it's earlier middle rounds, take that player because yeah. the value is meaningful there. Ultimately I would say when it gets to like anywhere eighth round or later, just take, take your guys. Don't worry about value as much even if a guy is falling in value, um, I wouldn't worry about it because your roster already has its core. You need to build around your core and no one's going to remember that you fucked up your 10th round draft pick. So like a lot of guys on the back half of your roster could be off your team, either via trade or via waiver claim, like three weeks into the season. It happens to me every year. But uh, so that's what I would say is ultimately focus on that core. And then, and if there's value there, take it. Yeah, I I feel yeah. I think a big thing that you mentioned that I want to emphasize is basically after the eighth, ninth round is when I throw ADP out the window. Yeah, I mean exactly. Obviously I'm not I'm not gonna re if there's someone that's going in the fourteenth, fifteenth round, I'm not gonna take him in the in the eighth round. But if it gets to the twelfth round and he's going in the fifteenth round, then just take them. I mean, that, who knows if someone else has the same target or or not? Yeah, I was in a home league last week where my mock drafts barely helped past the third round. Like, I felt pretty good in the third round. But after that, uh, things kind of went sideways. I, I don't hate my team but <laughs> in that league, but I don't love it either. And it's because there are a couple different picks I could have made um, where value presented itself. But I either reach too far or I thought someone would go later that I could pick up in a later round. And then someone else on the board took them because they like them too. And so it is hard to, to predict what your friends are going to do. So I am big on getting your guys. Um, uh, like you said, just focus on value in the early rounds. You talked about getting your guys. We obviously talked about my guys the other week, but Quickly, Andrew, who are some late round targets that you don't want to leave your drafts without? Give me give me a couple guys that you are really eyeing up. Again, once we sort of throw ADP out the window that 
that you're going to reach for and are happy to have on your teams? Yeah, I've got I've got a couple of running backs and a couple of wide receivers for you. So running back position, I'm looking at Damian Harris and Bryce Love. Uh, they can either be a running back five or running back six on your roster. Great targets in zero RB draft. These are guys that had incredible college profiles. You know, Damian Harris started ahead of Josh Jacobs at Alabama. Uh, and Bryce Love was a front runner for the Heisman before he got injured. So these guys were, you know, really prolific at the collegiate level. They didn't do anything in their first year. Uh, Bryce Love was due to injury. Um, and then, you know, it, yeah, they haven't done it in the NFL yet, but their pathways to opportunity right now in their respective back, backfields being New England and Washington are, you know, it's pretty murky, which means there's opportunity for them to just take that over. And so I'm really excited about them at the running back position and the upside they provide. Uh, wide receiver Anthony Miller and Alan Lazard. I think both of these guys are currently the number two wide receiver on the Bears and the Packers, respectively. And both teams, uh, being in the NFC North, have great schedules uh, in terms of fantasy defenses against wide receiver based on last year. So that is a promising uh, late-round pick for you as well. The Bryce Love pick, I really like it. Still blows my mind that people are drafting Adrian Peterson ahead of them. Um, if you want six to eight point fantasy points per week, draft Adrian Peterson. But if you want the upside of a potential running back one, then then take Bryce Love. I I was thinking about mentioning him, so I'm glad you did. For me, the running backs that I'm targeting, I, I've talked about Boston Scott enough, so I won't go on with him. Zach Moss, his ADP has been rising quite a bit, but I do like the opportunity he has to fill that Frank Gore role. I think he profiles better as a pass catcher than Devin Singletary. And then the last guy, speaking of pass catcher, is Jarek McKinnon. He obviously has missed the past couple seasons due to injury, but that San Francisco pass catching core is just getting depleted left and right with injuries. They have basically no one outside of George Kittle to catch the ball. They have said a lot of great things about McKinnon this offseason and, and throughout camp. So I really, really like him. And he's one of those guys who you can almost get with your, your last pick. As far as wide receivers, Preston Williams for the Dolphins, I think he showed a lot last year. And then Henry Ruggs of the Las Vegas Raiders, their first round pick, the number one overall wide receiver selected this past year, obviously might need to invest a little bit more into him from a draft perspective, but I think he it has a great opportunity to pay off that ADP without a doubt. I've got a quick question for you, Sam, because we haven't really touched on COVID and it's so unpredictable. I don't know if we can give any definitive advice here, but we were talking about late round picks. We're talking about, you know, the chaos at the running back position. And what we haven't really talked about is like those backup guys, like high, high upside guys like Bryce Love and then incumbent guys, uh, the guy, the guys who were the starter on their team last year, but now either a rookie was drafted or there's just multiple guys in the backfield. And, and I'll admit a little bit of this is self-serving because I've been talking to you about this home league draft that I had last weekend, but I think it's an interesting exercise. Would you rather have on a roster right now Bryce Love, who we talked about as a target already, or Tevin Coleman, a player who's on a great rushing offense in the 49ers, but you know he's an incumbent. Raheem Mostert flashed last year. You just mentioned Jarek McKinnon. 
at those murky backfields, like, yeah, we want to take advantage of them, but I'm, I'm really torn because Bryce Love is on the waiver wire in this league and I don't know who to drop to, to, to pick them up. It, it's awful. So that's a really good question. I mean, they, their ADP is a difference of about five rounds and I have Tevin Coleman ranked higher. I'd rather have Tevin Coleman because he's done it because he's done it. He's, on a better offense. There's no doubt about mm-hmm. that. There's no guarantee that Bryce Love will break out this year. I mean, he could be the Darwin Thompson of this year for all we know. And I I understand what you're saying. Like, there is something to being in an ambiguous backfield, you know, sharing touches. But the 49ers showed last year that they can support multiple running backs. I don't think that just because Coleman didn't do it as well at certain points last year means it's it's bad for him. I haven't been drafting him as much lately, but I'd it, you know, yeah, one for one, I'd rather have Coleman over Bryce Love. Okay. So yeah, I think that that is super instructive for you know our listeners just because we talk about a lot of high upside guys and great zero RB targets, but at the same time, whether it's in like middle rounds or just slightly before the like the Damian Harris's and the and the Bryce Loves is those incumbents still have value and could return, you know, even greater ADP value, uh, you know, depending on whatever happens with COVID or injury or experience in the in the offense that they're in. This brings up a good point that I thought you were actually going to mention and ask me about, but it's the concept of drafting two running backs from the same backfield. And I, I can't remember if we've brought this up before and I'm I'm sorry if I've gone on this diatribe before <laughs> but do not and I say do not draft running backs from the same backfield for for a couple of reasons one you mentioned COVID and some people will say well if I have Jonathan Taylor and Marlon Mack if Marlon Mack gets COVID then Jonathan Taylor will step right in and he can get 30 touches in a game They're in the same rooms. They're in the same meetings. They're touching the same ball. So if Marlon Mack gets COVID, there's a very high probability that Jonathan Taylor also gets COVID. And it knocks both of them out for a several-week stretch. Now, my science could be very off, but I'm just sort of using what I understand of the situation. Yeah. Second quick thing on that. Sorry, Sam. I, I think we don't know enough about how contact tracing works either and what guys have to sit out. So if someone does test positive, right. do people that were near him have to sit out as well? And that and that's going to yes. be, you know, I think that's super murky still. So sorry, point two. No, so, and that's, again, so that's one, in my opinion, actionable thing within the context of COVID that you can take away from for your drafts. The second reason is, it just limits your upside. If you have one quote unquote backfield, that's one position, excuse me, one slot in your starting roster that you have filled. And you're only going to be playing one of Jonathan Taylor or Marlon Mack in a given week. Now, maybe that changes with something, someone like the the Browns backfield, like we talked about earlier with Kareem Hunt, who I think has some standalone value. Not that many people um, are drafting Hunt and Chubb to start them both. But if you draft someone in a different backfield, so I'm going to keep using the same example. If you draft Jonathan Taylor and you draft Chase Edmonds, if Kenyon Drake goes down, 
then you have two starting running backs that you can plug into your lineup, one of which you drafted extremely late and now have this super high upside guy. It's what we talked about with the zero running back aspect of things. And if Marlon Mack goes down, then Jonathan Taylor is a huge thing too. And, well, maybe Marlon Mack stays healthy and maybe um, maybe Kenyon Drake stays healthy, so you lose out on that. Well, that that's not the upside. You're trying to win a championship. You're trying to – you're not trying to just make the playoffs. You're trying to win a championship, but – I'm, I'm yeah, no, going the up, on. upside's definitely – you cap your upside if you just take two guys from the same backfield, but you you maximize it in having m- more different backfields where you have a stake. Because you can't really predict the injury, so you might as well increase your chances of getting a, a guy who will fill into a role. Good stuff. Well, we're running a little bit long here, but we promised some – Fun questions to wrap things up. Andrew, what's your favorite draft day tradition? Uh, Yeah, mine is just being in person with everyone. It's hard to do that in 2020, so that kind of sucks. (laughs) But we've got Zoom, we've got video. Uh, Just being everyone around the table, and I think that's where most of the shit talking happens. And like, if someone makes a mistake or or drafts Jerick McKinnon in the third round when they tear their day after he tears his yeah, the day after like. Those are the moments you live for when it comes to a fantasy draft. And I feel like it puts more pressure on you when you're picking two. So it's, you know, the closest experience we get to the actual NFL draft. Um, and, you know, being able to see friends from out of town and wherever you're going, in, like destination in person. It's just a weekend of debauchery with a, a draft in the middle of it all. Yeah, I, I echo those same sentiments. It's always fun, too, when you can to have one of those physical draft boards where you, you pick mm-hmm. the player's name. Got to put the uh, sticker up on there. Put, it, put the sticker on the board. But uh, those days are a little bit behind us, unfortunately, right now. Um, what's your current draft day setup? Yeah, I uh, normally I always have an Excel sheet that I start to fill out. I like doing a big board, like pick for pick, at least for just like the first few rounds, like we said, because that'll really help across. I mean, it's essentially overall like cross-positional rankings. And just putting it in like in a board. And so you see like, okay, this is who I would take over like player A over player B, like 99 times out of 100. And so that makes your draft super easy from the beginning. And then after that, I think it helps you, like you said, you got those first few picks, then you can figure out your strategy for the rest of the draft. And I look at from there, I look at my own positional rankings. I usually got it through the top 50 at running back and wide receiver. Yeah, I'm pretty similar. I... I usually make sure I've got a couple things up. So it's one screen with with the actual draft board. So actually being able to see sort of how the draft is playing out. One with rankings from a couple popular sites. So ESPN, CBS Sports, because depending on the players in your league, some people might just gravitate towards using those default rankings. And you can get a sense if you're drafting around those players uh, of knowing who they might be grabbing soon. And then also just having some Twitter open just to make sure mm-hmm. I searched the player and they didn't tear their ACL two hours beforehand. Yeah. Um, last question. What do you do to get into your league mates heads on draft day? So I'm curious to know if this will be the the same for us. Cause we've been in a couple of in-person drafts together, but you know, someone's on the clock, you give them about 
10, 15 seconds for them to, you know, mull about what pick they're going to make. And then you say, I know who I'd pick if I were you. (laughs) (laughs) And so you make it seem like the pick that they're intended to make is obvious when it's not always obvious. And, And I mean, sometimes I will say like, there's an obvious pick here. If I'm getting like real triggered because I know who needs to go and they haven't gone yet. Uh, I will start saying that too, but I sometimes, you know, you don't want to give up too, too much information. So you you might want to ease back a little bit on that, but uh, is yours similar? Yeah, it's, it certainly is a fine balance between trying to get in someone else's head versus giving away too much information and Mm -hmm. the level of how much I try to get into someone's head depends on how far away I am from them on the draft board if i'm at the 11 pick and they're at the two pick then i might try a little bit more because what they do doesn't really impact me as much or if if they quote unquote snipe me on a player it doesn't hurt as someone picking right before me i think what you mentioned and just sort of making it seem like oh like if if they had a really bad pick just letting them know that it was a downright terrible pick i that said i i will make sure to give compliment when i do see someone have a nice value pick uh in their draft and i think it's important to yeah as much shit talking as we do give give a little praise here i think it's i think it's good sportsmanship to say nice pick when you see someone make a pick that you like especially when it's multiple picks away from you i i also think it's hilarious because i just remembered this one is if you take someone who is far down in your rankings uh like a julian edelman for example i will be like oh where is this guy in my rankings let me find him (laughs) that's usually out what i'll say post pick if it actually is like someone like i need to cross out and i can't find find them ah that is good well we hope you all enjoy your drafts whether they are this weekend or next weekend or in the coming weeks but for Andrew Mackins, for Garner, who is lost in space. <laughs> I am Sam Hoppin, and you can follow our Twitter account at PodAfterTD. And with that, the kick is good. Good.